Welcome to the High Reliability Podcast, presented by Goslin Martin Associates. I'm your host, Peter Martin, president of Goslin Martin Associates. The High Reliability Podcast is focused solely on the healthcare facility management professional, and it's sponsored by the Career Hub. You can link to the Career Hub off the Goslin Martin Associates webpage. If you haven't already done so, please do so and check us out. Today, I am happy to welcome David Luce to the podcast. David is Director, Building Operations for Regional Enterprises, Inc. in Ashland, Wisconsin. In his role, David has oversight of two hospitals, Memorial Medical Center in Ashland and Hayward Area Memorial Hospital that's in Hayward, Wisconsin. David has been a healthcare facility leader for more than 20 years. He has worked for large systems in the Midwest and in New England. David has his BS in business and he has an MBA. He's also a certified mechanical engineering technologist. David is a veteran of the United States Army. David, welcome to the High Reliability Podcast. Good morning, Peter. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. In addition to his full-time role in healthcare facilities management, and as you know, in the High Reliability Podcast, we're always talking to your peers in healthcare facilities management. But David also has a very interesting side role, which I think will be of interest to facility management listeners. Um, we'll get to that in a moment. But first, it is February 22nd. It's been pretty cold across most of the United States with snow down into Texas last week and frigid temperatures. David, for those of us who don't know where Ashland, Wisconsin is, Tell them where in Wisconsin you're located, and if you could, describe a little bit what winter is like uh, up in Ashland, Wisconsin. Sure. So Ashland, Wisconsin is on the southern edge of uh, what they call the Schwamigan Bay area, which um, for most people, again, not going to know where that is, but uh, that is northwest Wisconsin. So we are about an hour um, west, uh, or excuse me, east of Minnesota, and then about an hour west of Michigan. So we're tucked up in between Minnesota and Michigan, the upper U, upper UP, upper peninsula. Um, so I can tell you last three weeks, uh, most of our days didn't get above uh, zero. And in fact, I think we broke a couple of records. One day here was minus 38 or 39. Uh, that's not the wind chill, by the way. That was the temperature. So uh it has been cold, average about 10 feet of snow here a year, but we haven't had that this year. It's been cold, but only maybe, oh, a couple feet, I guess, which for this neck of the woods isn't a lot of snow. Well, yeah, been, been a bit uh, chilly here. <laughs> a bit chilly. So what is when it's, you know, 38, 39, 40 degrees below zero? Uh, what do you do besides work? So... Yeah, so uh, up here, you know, there's a lot of ice fishing here because we have a, a lot of lakes here. Um, so there's a lot of ice fishing going on. And to be, believe it or not, when it's 38, 40 degrees like it's going to be here today, you know, there'll be kids wearing shorts out, you know, because of how cold it's been, you know, with literally a 60, 70 degree swing, you know, over, you know, three weeks from today. So uh, a lot of ice fishing, a lot of snowmobiling going on up here. Um there's a lot of just basically outdoor recreational sports, a lot of cross-country skiing, a lot of skiing up here as well. So a lot of outdoor winter activities, I guess, as you would suspect in a colder climate. Wow. So that's quite the, um, that's quite the swing 
from 38 below zero to 38 degrees. That's yeah, about like I said, 70, 80 degrees, quite a, quite a swing. <laughs> sure is. Sure is. Well, after that little bit of uh, winter weather outlook, and hopefully with March coming next week, uh, it starts to get a little bit warmer, more consistently across the country. But you also have, uh, in addition to your weather reporting, you also have an interesting side job that you occasionally, that you occasionally uh, engage in. Tell our audience what that is, David. Sure. So what I do is I uh, consult for a law firm out of the Northeast that um, represents hospitals who have been or are being sued by um, patients, former patients, patients, family members, uh, that sort of thing. And so what they do is they use me as a uh, as an expert witness, and I use my air quotes, but they use me as an expert witness for whatever the uh, whatever the case may be. Um, not so much to rebuttal, but um, what I like about this law firm is they use me just to help understand the situation from a facilities management perspective. So I just do do consulting for them for whatever the case may be, literally and figuratively. So it's a so they bring you in on healthcare facility management cases. Um, first, let's just go back. How did how did uh, that firm approach you? How did you get you know roped into this? Because again, you, we read your we read your um, you know your history. There's nothing in there, and correct me if I'm wrong. There's nothing in there to select to think that law was going to be a a career path for you. How did the how did the firm approach you, and and how did that occur that you got involved? Sure. So. Um... To be quite honest with you, they had found me through um, through the community. Uh, they had heard that uh, I was a facilities director. Uh, I assume they heard that they thought I was a good facilities director, so they had uh, they had reached out to me and just said, "Hey, again, just kind of like I had stated, said, hey, you know, we heard about you from the community. We would love to uh, we would love to uh, speak with you about a case we have going on. Would you mind speaking with us about it?" So I said, "Sure, I don't mind." Really, at the time, I hadn't suspected that they wanted me to consult. I just thought they may, they they more or less just had a few questions. And so, uh, next thing you know, uh, they wanted me to work on this particular case as their expert witness. And uh, again, as you stated, I don't have a degree in in law. Um, closest thing to it is I have a master's degree, as you guys, as you stated. And so I took business law, but that was about as close as I come to any type of uh, law degree, a couple of uh, business law classes, which hardly qualifies me as a lawyer for sure. <laughs> Although my my oldest daughter watches Law and Order and she thinks she's a attorney. So people do think that they are. <laughs> people do think that they have those degrees based on, on TV. Um, that's interesting. Do you, uh, do you enjoy it? I do enjoy it. Um, one of the things I enjoy the most is just learning from it, and I get to read through depositions. I get to read through the case uh, from start to finish or from start as it progresses. Um, currently working on a case now that I can't get into for obvious reasons, but uh, it's very interesting because it allows me to start on the case. It allows me to look at maybe what, um, what the litigators are looking at and why they're looking at certain things. So, and again, you know, watching your NCISs and 
you know, all these other law shows like you like you mentioned, Blue Bloods, a lot of these Kate, you know, a lot of these TV shows that are on now, I think there's just an innate uh, interest, you know, from humans in general. But it it uh, it allows me to kind of dig in uh, from again, from start to finish. OK, here's what's happening and and then follow that case. But the difference is this isn't a drama. This isn't dramatized. Yeah. This is real life. You know, these are people's lives. Um, who are being affected adversely or think they're being affected adversely or whatever the case may be. So it's highly interesting, actually. Um, Not enough to go into law, but highly interesting that if I were to do this, I really enjoy doing it when they call me. It must be be a little flattering in a way, too. Yeah, you know, whenever they contacted me, I thought it was a mistake to be frank with you because I thought I'm just a I'm just a, you know, regular old facilities guy, you know, and while I take pride in what I do and I think I do a good job, you know, I do have my master's uh, in business as you said and I do have my CHFM, so I'm always trying to stay current and uh, stay um stay up to on, you know, stay up to pace on what's going on, you know, in our in our field whether it be through uh um, you know, the CHFM through NFPA and some of these other organizations that, uh, you know, kind of dictate our field for us. Um, I just thought it was, you know, just another kind of question, just, hey, can you help us a minute? And then it kind of morphed into this. And so it really has been interesting. And again, I, I like being from the defensive side um, because it helps me, you know, and I'm always honest, which I think is interesting because I get to, uh Tell the tell the the law firm exactly what I think, not what they want to hear. So um, in the industry, I've learned they call it a hired gun that the prosecution will use or the plaintiff will use. Excuse me, that the plaintiff side will use. Um, that attorney will use what they call a hired gun, and that's basically to dig up the information to obviously favor the plaintiff's um, uh, side as best as possible. And so I like being on the defensive side because I don't have to. I don't have to, you know, do any legal maneuvering or anything like that. I just tell my version, you know, or tell what I believe to be the truth. And, and the nice part about this law firm is they never ask me to, to, to sway what I'm thinking. Or are you sure? Can you write it this way? Or can you write your report that way? I don't have to do those things. So it's really nice for that. Yeah. So they they take what you tell them and. And that's what you tell them. There, there's no attempt on their part to say, hey, can you say this or say that or, you know, go down this route. Correct. They allow me to give my assessment Great. Uh, without bias, even from them. And they'll tell me, no, we want we want to hear your version. That's why you're here. You know, we want to hear your thoughts. And, you know, because we don't think the way you think which is obviously the reason I think you bring in any outside consultant or, you know, because they don't know, just like I don't know about law per se. They don't know, you know, our our rules and regulations for our, our particular line of work. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's excellent. That's excellent. What are, um, what are some of the types of um, cases that you've, that you've worked on, David? So generally, the cases I work on for these guys are life and life safety cases, um, which I think most listeners would probably be able to relate to. Um, slips, trips and falls, um, faulty equipment. And I don't mean biomed equipment. I'm talking about uh, 
um, you know, uh, say uh, uh, a chair, uh, you know, things that are common area type of things like like waiting room furniture, that type of stuff. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, the questions I'll get is, you know, what type of maintenance is done? What should be done? What could be done? Um, what about, uh, you know, any type of risk assessments that are done on that piece of equipment before it's brought in? Um, some interesting questions that I've found that um, I don't think the regular facilities manager would maybe think about is who made the decision to bring that piece of equipment in? Why this piece of equipment? You know, I don't care if it's a rug, a chair, or a, um, you know, a table, something like that. But who made the decision? Why? What was that process? Um, which, to be frank with you, I didn't think about before this either. So it has helped me to maybe kind of relook at the way I make some of my decisions. David, um, why why is you know, why why is that important? Why is it important? Like when you said you never thought about it, and I probably wouldn't have either, relative to who made that decision to bring in that piece of furniture or that rug. Why is that important to the case? Well, I think it's important because they want to know that essentially, and and again, I'm not on the uh, plaintiff side of thing, but I think they want to know with was the decision vetted out. Then um, a particular case I had was uh, was a rug. And again, without getting in particulars, but who, who chose the rug? Why did they choose this rug? Was there a better rug out there? And I think it all goes maybe sidestepping your answer, you know, answering it slightly different, Peter, is that it's not just about, well, the facilities director decided to buy the rug. I think what they're looking for is, was this a group decision? You know, was it vetted from, you know, the EPS perspective? Uh, was it vetted from uh, the director's perspective, meaning, you know, from the director of facilities or facilities management position? Um, that type of thing. Why did you choose this rug? Well, we chose this rug because it, it absorbed water better. It was a non-slip. It had a beveled edge. Those are the questions that that they are going to ask, but then they also bring up more questions, right? Because, okay, so it did have a beveled edge. Why did you decide this beveled edge versus that beveled edge? And, you know, if you know anything about some of these shows, like we talked about, Peter, you know, they really go down a rabbit hole on why that particular, um, that particular mat in this case was chosen. And then again, was risk involved? You know, the risk and safety, did they have a say in this? You know, so they really they really try to look for any hole um, to maybe pick apart, if you will, you know, to, you know, for that 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 little bit of chink in the armor. They want to, you know, it's their job to find that. Right. Right. And if you like, if you think about the totality of responsibility and you mentioned it, just getting down to that minute level about the beveled edge of the rug, you would never think about that. Right. You said that at the very beginning, things you never thought about. That's correct. So, you know, maybe speaking out of both sides of my mouth for a second, Peter, I, I try not to let it affect my decision making because I'm, I'm a true believer in the, the reason we're here is for the patients in our line of work. Mm -hmm. But I also have to think about risk, um, risk reduction, uh, risk mitigation. And, you know, so when I'm looking at products or looking at, OK, why did we choose this? You know, and, and and it's hard for people sometimes to understand why I'm asking certain questions because they haven't seen what I've seen on some on when I'm when I'm reading these depositions because the process generally is they let me know hey we have a case um, we're going to send you we're going to send you everything that we have so far and that is generally the filing you know with the court that so and so is suing so and so for so and so reason 
Okay, great. Then they start, then I'll get the deposition. And then as the process goes on, I'll get more depositions. Um, so I know what they're going to be asking, at least to some extent. I know what they're going to be looking for. Um, was a risk assessment performed? Why not? You know, that type of stuff is what they're going to be looking for. What's the normal process? You know, so it's easy to talk about, well, the Joint Commission is going to come in or DNV or whomever you use for your, your surveys. Um, but it also goes with that, um, that, that piece about being sued, you know, because that's what the lawyers are going to be asking me. So not only am I worried about DNV or the Joint Commission, I'm also going to worry about, okay, so, you know, this, this patient's going to be suing and why are they suing and, and then what did we do to mitigate those risks? Because we all know there's risk in the hospital every day. From my perspective, it's the life safety risk reduction. Um, which again, unfortunately, is a is a close number two to patients, you know, um, to making sure the patient's taken care of from our perspective, mm -hmm. the building mm -hmm. op side that is. Just so, as, you're, as you're talking, I envision um, like what's going on in your mind, right? In your kind of your role with the just a tennis ball going back and forth over the um, <laughs> over the net as you have your facility director hat on and then also you're considering the you know some of the implications you can't let it paralyze you but you probably can't turn it off either well you're exactly right um and like i said i i try not to let it paralyze me yeah however i do know that some things are coming our way or could come our way and then knowing you know it's the proverbial getting hit by a bus right there's no bus coming today but could it be coming tomorrow it could be, and it'd be nice to know that I've prepared myself and the facility um, for that. And again, you know, not only am I worried about patient satisfaction and not from the H, or not from an HCAP score, I, I know that's important, but for me, it's about safety. I want to make sure that if my mother came in here, my father, my children, that I would have no problem telling them, yes, this is a safe facility. You're going to get quality care. But then I have to think about the surveys. Then I have to think about... Um, you know, if a patient uh, were to sue the hospital, did we do everything that we could do to minimize risk? You know, because I think risk elimination doesn't exist, at least in my mind, but risk minimization um, does occur. Do, I do have to think about risk minimization, you know, with at the same time trying to make sure that we provide the best care that we can, you know, especially with uh you know, COVID-19 and, you know, setting up some of these negative rooms. Okay, what does that mean now down the way? You know, what does that mean for the patient, not just the patient experience, but what does that mean? Could the patient be getting sick from this? Well, we're sharing ductwork, but we're not returning it. What does that mean for us if we decided to go negative back to positive? Hmm. So I'm thinking about it, but I'm also thinking about, you know, if someone were to get sick, okay, what does this mean for us if they were to hire a lawyer? you know, and try to place fault or blame on the hospital, on the organization itself. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. It, I can't let it paralyze me, but I, but it's there. Right. Right. You talked about, um, you know, pressurization changes due to COVID. You talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, you know, the rugs as you're, you know, you've been through this, you talked about minimizing risk. Is there, are there other areas um, that you would give advice to for an FM person, professional, seeking to minimize their risk that they should perhaps look at or, or be cognizant of? 
Well, again, I think you look at it from a couple couple different uh, lenses. One is the patient satisfaction and making sure, again, this is my opinion only, that, you know, if, if this isn't good enough for your parents or your children, then it's not good enough. You know, so that's how I've always kind of been driven, you know, because um, I've had children in the hospital that I'm working at or relatives. Secondly, would be to think about the survey aspect. And then obviously due to um, the whole purpose of this uh, podcast today is the the um, the, lit- the litigation part of it, um, being that we live in a litigious society. What does that mean? And I'm not saying, again, that we should do everything based off of, oh, we could be sued for that. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But that still doesn't mean that's not the way we should go about it if that's the right decision. Now, from that perspective, do I use it as a guide? Absolutely. So the one thing I would consider is maybe look at maybe even local cases if you can find them. Um, it, I think the law firm that I work with currently, they have a, an arm. They're a big law firm. So they have an arm that specializes in this in medical and healthcare um, cases. You know, but if you could find a, um, a law firm around and even if you were to ask them or pick their brain, because one of the things that you'll notice is that I think, at least from my perspective, is that um, I've never really noticed a lot of this at the ASHI um, conferences, you know, generally speaking, when we've had them in person, that is, there's not a lot of classes that talk about, um, you know, litigation or any, any of those type of things, even though um, one case I worked on settled out, the, and I can't get into details, but the plaintiff clearly in, I guess, my unprofessional opinion, had almost no case. They still settled out for hundreds of thousands of dollars. That is a, that's a, that's a major payout. But, you know, again, the hospital has to look at it from a couple, couple different angles. There's always the, um, the public angle. Do we want this to go public? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't believe I've ever been at an organization that wants um, a front page story about the hospital being neglectful. Even if it's not the case, they don't want that to make it to the local papers. Um, so, you know, it's again, something I don't let it, um, I don't let it uh, define my job, but it's always a case where I'm there. And again, I think it's something that Ashy one day will have to take more of a look at um, down the way, because I do believe it will become more and more of an issue. Again, when you're talking about half million dollar payouts, when, you know, it's like, gee, this doesn't kind of yeah. make a lot of sense, but it's maybe somewhere easier to settle, you know, yes, than to go yeah. through maybe the public scrutiny, especially at a place where there's a lot of hospitals locally, you know, um, as being from the East Coast, you know, Peter, that there's a lot of hospitals within walking distance sometimes of each other. Yep. Yeah, there's lots of choices. Well, and you know, it's interesting you say that, David. I'm just thinking, I'd imagine that, and maybe this is more pre-COVID than post-COVID, but people, I think, historically have have always thought that hospitals are probably loaded with money, right? Which isn't the reality at all. And I was putting that in the context of you talking about the hospital settling, you're doing it for expediency because they don't want to get dragged through the mud. So, But you probably have plaintiffs there who think, hey, this is my meal ticket. It's a hospital. Sure. Um, And I would say most of the facilities managers, directors, facilities folks listening to this podcast have had that. I've had people who who hit the curb, a little bit of ice in the parking lot. And this is a true story, by the way. And they wanted to sue us. 
to replace their rim. I mean, the rim, it was an aluminum rim, you know, but what are we talking, a couple hundred dollars? But again, they went and got a lawyer because they thought there was more to be had, I guess you could say. Um, <laughs> you know, I've had I've had someone who tried to blame stuff for us, you know, their car in the parking lot. Well, it got scratched and it was clear. It was clear it didn't happen in the parking lot. A, B, when you pull out the videos, you're like, no, no one got near your car. You know, so your front bumper being displaced wasn't due to here. It was that way when you pulled in, you know. And so, you know, you hate to say it, but, you know, is that part of the reason we have cameras these days? Mm. I would say part of the reason. Yeah. You know, um, because, again, I think that most folks I've spoken with, and I've spoken with some of these as a director, you go out and look at their car and, you know, and it's clear that yes, they they're looking for a monetary uh, a monetary gain when they're you know there shouldn't be one you know. But again, and I'm using my air quotes here again, Peter. Well, the hospitals have deep pockets. It, right. You know, a couple thousand is not going to hurt these guys. Fifty thousand, hundred thousand, whatever the case may be. But again, what most people don't realize, they just drive healthcare cost up. You know, for all. Yes. So. Yep. You know. And then here we go. And when, you know, when these hospitals have to settle out of court for, you know, legitimate or semi-legitimate cases, it really hurts the overall consumer. Have you have you been called to testify in court, David, or are you normally behind the scenes? So normally I'm behind the scenes. Um, for the most part, most of my uh, most of my cases have settled out. Mm -hmm. Um, so I haven't been, I've been deposed, but I haven't, you know, meaning they take your depositions, you know, similar to what we're doing now. Well, what do you mean by this? And obviously it's a bit more of a Q and a versus a conversation, but, um, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by that? One thing I think, um, uh, I think it's important for facilities, managers, directors on this, on this podcast or who's listening to know is, is that, um, I think without being maybe without scaring anybody, but, um, it's important to know that if, if there's a life safety issue and the hospital is sued, they're going to name you in that lawsuit. I haven't seen one yet where the facilities director, luckily I haven't been, I haven't been a part of that process myself as far as being sued. Mm -hmm. um, but again, working on these cases, I see where they, they physically name that building operations director, facilities director, plan engineering director, whatever title you go by, um, you will be, listed in that uh, and they, they they always list everybody out that they feel like could have should have some part um in this case risk directors risk management that type of thing um and so i always find that interesting to know that you know when i'm looking at this thing that is my counterpart right you know at that particular hospital my counterpart how how you know now how am i thinking about this what is going through my mind if if um, next week I was served, and oh, by the way, we're being sued, and you're named as one of the, uh, you're named in the suit, you know, how would that make me feel? And again, while I try not to let it paralyze me, that thought is always there. But I say that, Peter, because I would want um, these, these individuals who are listening to the podcast to realize that, you know, it's not the hospital we're suing, they're suing, you know, I mean, it's standard procedure. They're going to they're going to name everybody they can name because that's part of the process. But but to have your name actually listed is a little bit of an eye opener, I would think. And again, not having experience, but having have, having seen my counterparts, I think that's uh, that would be eye opening for me. And especially the way you make your decisions. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, you're not, you know, you don't get into this role thinking that that is a, you know, possibility, but it is. <laughs> uh, definitely is. What are some yeah, other things? Absolutely that- is, and like I said, I think. It- no, I was just gonna say, I, I was just going to reiterate. I think it would, you know, it would make you tend to look at things a little bit differently. Right. No, absolutely. And that's a, you know, that's a good one that you bring up. What are, you know, so you're, you know, as you said, you're serving more in a um, back back of the house capacity, not so often on 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 the um, on the uh, in the trial on the stand. But what are some other things? What are some other perceptions, David, that you may have had or didn't think about? relative to the law and your role that you may have had prior to getting involved, but now you're kind of, I'm going to call you an insider or a consultant. What are some other perceptions that have changed as you moved from the outsider to now being called a consultant? And and just for those of you who are listening, again, I'm talking to uh, David Luce. He's a director of building ops for two hospitals out in Wisconsin, but he also serves um, a very interesting role. He's a um, consultant to a, a law firm on healthcare facilities management cases. So David, what are some other perceptions of yours that have changed? Yeah, so I think um, maybe, you know, we all live a little bit naively sometimes about, you know, some of these things that happen behind the scenes, um, you know, meaning, uh, you know, I'm not part of the legal department, say, so I don't really get to see what the legal department does from day to day. But and I'm just using a, a theoretical here, but yet there's five of them up there. So obviously, if there's five of them up there, there's something happening, you know, pretty much all the time, right? Or, I mean, you, you couldn't keep a team of five people busy. Right. I think the biggest thing that it, it helped me, Peter, was just look at things maybe a little bit differently, um, ask better questions. Um, one of the things I picked up from a keynote speaker maybe four or five years ago now, I don't recall, and I don't recall the gentleman's name, but um, one of the things that stuck with me was learn to ask better questions. And so this was before I got into this, um, this little side role, if you will. And so now I learned, I've learned to ask better questions. Hold on a second. What are, you know, what are the benefits? What are the, what are the negatives with this? Um, is there, have we done everything we could do? Um, you know, when we're putting this rug down, is this where we should put it? And sometimes, you know, to most people, it might look like overkill, but again, there's always that little part of me in the back of my mind that says, okay, so what if someone asked me about this? What, what would be my response? And again, it could be a surveyor, could be a lawyer, you know, it could be a group of folks, you know, um, and it's not so much for me about worried about being sued because I feel like if I go to bed at night, and I feel like I've done a good job. I'm okay with, you know, with that. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, the fact is there's always going to be um, litigation going on um, in this world that we live in. But uh, the biggest piece, I think, for me is, again, asking better questions, maybe taking a little bit um, a little bit deeper look sometimes into why why certain decisions were made. Meaning for me, you know, why why are we making that decision? Is that the best way to go? Again, I'm always thinking about the patient, but a close second would be. Uh, how, how does this affect us from a survey perspective, from a litigation perspective, that type of thing? The other piece that I think. Um, that I took away or have taken away or I'm taking away from this is, is um, some of the questions that are asked and then how to think like, um, like these uh, lawyers or litigators do sometimes. For instance, we had a rug that was, um, wasn't me, but again, for this case, why was the rug placed there? And, and, 
and try not to laugh on this, Peter, but was there a sign saying that, that there was a rug? <laughs> Most of us would say, well, it's clear to see. Right. Now, one thing I've learned is depending on the state you're working in, in some states, it's called a known risk. A known risk is a rug in the floor. I'm not hiding it from you, you know, meaning me as the as a facility. We're not hiding it. Every place uses rugs. But in other states, um, that's not so clear cut. You know, really? so it's so been interesting it, as I've worked on some of these things. Yeah, so exactly. That, yep. So if that's not clear cut, does that mean that you need – so if that's a state where a rug is not clear cut – does that mean you should have a sign? No, no. It just, it's one of the questions, again, that they try to, every little hole that that ah. that myself and my counterparts are trying to make sure are plugged, it's one of the things they're going to go over. Okay. Um, well, yeah. it wasn't raining on the day that uh, so-and-so tripped over the rug. <laughs> Why didn't you pull the rug up? Things like that that again it's they are silly, but they but they were serious when they asked these questions. I mean, this was part of the deposition. Well, we don't pull the rug up because it could rain in five minutes, or it's wintertime, it could it could snow in five minutes, or sleet or ice, whatever. You know, and then again it sounds almost silly, but who would put a sign by a rug saying beware of rug or something of that nature, right? Right, right. But they were dead serious with this question this line of questioning. Beware of rugs. So it's almost, yeah. And so, well, do we have this on video? Yes, we do. And we we had it on video and it showed everything, you know, again, um, not my hospital, but seeing the video, it was clear the rug wasn't hidden. It wasn't like a part of the rug was curled up or anything, you know? So Mm -hmm. the rug was laid there. Um, But again, I got to see um, whenever this happened, the rugs, who purchased the rugs? What was the process for purchasing this rug? Who decided to purchase the rug? Why this rug over another rug? I'm talking yarn counts and 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 fiber materials, all of these things, you know, that uh, they were really uh, magnifying or scrutinizing to see why this rug versus another rug. Would this rug have performed better than this rug? You know, again, and it sounds a little bit silly whenever, you know, these the, the listeners out there are listening to this, but these were the questions that they were asking. You know, and I'm reading, I'm reading these depositions and they're asking me, you know, and common sense would say, well, it's a rug. I mean, you know, it wasn't a faulty rug. And, you know, we've all seen rugs where the, the lips would curl, you know, the edges curl or, you know, the rug was far beyond serviceability, meaning it wore out. But that, you know, that wasn't that was clearly not the case in, in this case. But these are the questions they're asking. You know, again, who signs where a rug goes down? Yeah. Well, the Not level many of people who takes a rug up when it's dry out. Yeah. You know. Well, that level of detail for a simple rug, man, it tells you why things get uh, so blown out of proportion at times, right? I, that's just amazing. Are there other, David? And without, obviously, you know, you can't betray, um, you know, your role. Um, but are there other, is there a, a case or two that sticks in your mind without naming names, what it was and why? Sure. So one was the one I was referencing about that rug. And the reason it sticks out to me was it was such a simple thing. And what I mean by that is every facility, I have a hard time believing anybody listening to this podcast or any any facility, um, hospital, medical facility in this country, maybe even the world, doesn't have rugs down. Right. <laughs> and so it really stuck out to me of how simple something could be, but yet so complicated. And it's a rug. 
you know, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of got a half grin on my face because it's a rug, right? It's just a rug. Everybody has them. You have them in your foyer at home. I have them. They're at Walmart or at uh, any local grocery store, that type of thing. But yet here was someone who was suing because they tripped over the rug. And I can't get into the details of how they tripped on the rug. But um, again, it was on video. It was a very, very clear cut case. But yet they still settled out. They still did all of these things that I think, and I use my air quotes again, most normal people would have said, yeah, there's no real fault here with the hospital. But yet they settled out of court. Did she win? Well, I don't think it's a win or lose right there because I don't think they really call it winning, but they call it settling. Yeah. And in theory, right, both parties lose, both parties win. Right. Um, but that particular one stuck with me because it was a rug. And I would be willing to bet before this podcast, 99.9% of facilities, directors, managers would have said it's a rug. What's the, what's, you know, again, you know, layman's terms, what's the big deal? Yeah. Well, it became a big deal. Um, and for what they paid this individual out, they could have bought a lot of rugs. Right. Um, and so that one always sticks out to me. Another one that sticks out to me, Peter, is a faulty piece of equipment that um, that there's a lot of finger pointing, even though this piece of equipment had been maintained. Then you have the manufacturer who says, well, did they really maintain it? Did they maintain it to our specs? You know, kind of like, um, and again, you know, I'll kind of get a little technical or go into a little bit of uh, of shop talk here. And that is, you know, our um, alternative maintenance. You know, did you do alternative maintenance and why? Did you perform your risk assessment? Okay, did you look at... You know, so normally when you go through your risk assessment, you go through it and it's like, all right, we did it and we're done. But I've learned to actually make sure that, you know, I dot the I's and cross the T's on these risk assessments because, you know, that's what they're going to be looking for. OK, you did a risk assessment. Great. Let's 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 tear this thing apart and see what you could have done differently, what you could have done better. You know, because now the plaintiff is suing not only the hospital, they might be suing the manufacturer and everybody in between, meaning, you know, the building folks and and the risk department and legal and, and all of these things like that. So um, this particular case was interesting because obviously the hospital doesn't feel liable. The manufacturer is obviously has some culpability, but obviously, you know, they're not in it. They're not, they're in to make a profit, not, uh, not pay out, you know, settlements. So uh, that was an interesting case that, um, that, uh, that was complicated because yeah. of, because of that particular reason, um, you know, I mean, on the one with the slip trip, the slip and trip, that was interesting because I can't get into details, but some of the things that the plaintiff her, themselves had done, you know, would have said, okay, well, again, there's no case here, but again, that's not what, that's not what turned out to be. Yeah. yeah. So, you- and again, I'll, I'll basically to keep it out of the paper. Right. That's a powerful motivator too, right? Just to stay out of the news cycle. Nobody wants to be stuck in that because um, you can't win. Generally, it's not a good place to be, is it? No. No. Not at all. Do you actually, going back to that AEM, going back to that alternative equipment maintenance, do you see, um, and I don't know if, if you see a lot, but does that alternative maintenance, does that come up frequently? Or, and I don't know if you can say frequently, but do you see it occasionally? So, um, 
let me clarify the question. So when you say see it frequently, let me tell you what my version of that would be. I yeah. try not to ever use alternative equipment maintenance. Mm-hmm. The reason is, is because I'm not the manufacturer. I didn't design yeah. it. I didn't engineer it. I didn't do any of those things. I don't know what grade bolts they're using, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think if it's me personally from, um, you know, maybe based off of this conversation, would, yes. I, would I do alternative maintenance? I wouldn't. Because mm-hmm. again, I think it, it opens you up to questions. Yeah. And when you, from a survey perspective and from the litigation side, well, gee, why did you decide to alter the maintenance? Mm. You better have a pretty darn good reason if you're going to do that, you know, and it better not be about cost, you know. Because you're really taking on that risk at that point. Essentially. Yeah. Well, we decided to change it because we felt like, you know, um, uh, you know, it didn't need it that often. Okay. Based off of what? Right. You know, right. and again, if you're going, if you're going to send it out to a lab to have the oil checked, you know, well, we don't change the oil every year because we'd send it out and the viscosity is still good. Excellent. But if that's the case, you better have all that. And when you do your risk assessment, which again, you know, every time you do one of these things, you've, you've added a layer. Yes. You know, to, yeah. to, be, to stumble upon a little bit. Well, gee, you know, it says here, this date is this, but this is the date you did the work. Oh, well, that was a mistake. Again, you just peeled that lid a little bit farther, you know, off of Pandora's box. So it just, it's a, it's not a great environment to live in, you know, knowing mm-hmm. that people are looking at you that way. When, when for me personally, I just try to do what I think is the right thing to do and the best thing to do, you know, again, based off if this was my mother coming in here or my children. Um, but again, I'm forced to think that way because it's, it's a fact of our reality um, of why, and don't get me wrong. We all have to do the risk assessments and things like that. And I'm not suggesting anyone on this call get away from them. Just be careful when you're doing them because it, it, it again, could be sitting on a table, on a table in front of three or four or five lawyers asking why, why did you make that decision? And now this could be a year, two or five years down the road. So it's important to, um, document these things. You know, that's the whole purpose of the, the environment of care committee vet it through the Environment and Care Committee so everybody gets to look at it from a clinical perspective, building ops, EBS. Um, and that's just advice, kind of going back to what you had said earlier was, you know, what advice, and that would be some advice I would have because at least you're not standing on your own if and when that day comes. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can, um, you know, just, just thinking of issues with just Doc, something is like documentation. I mean, you've got these pit bulls. Sorry to sorry to call them pit bulls, but you got these pit bulls on the other side of the table, firing questions at you for something that was maybe three or four years ago. Think, just think, trying to get back to that if it's not well documented. I mean, you really are out on out on an island, right? Right, and they're going to pick that apart. And I think it's easier for me, you know, from an emotional standpoint. I don't worry about that because that's their job, right? They're, that's their, you know, you've got a plaintiff who's suing for, I don't know, a million dollars. Obviously, they get a cut of that million dollars. So they're, they're literally working for that. So, okay, what can I do then? Then I do everything in my power, in, in my opinion, to, to mitigate those risks. That's why I said there's no such thing as risk elimination. But to mitigate and reduce, that I can do. And so, okay, now let's do that then. 
you know, um, training your guys, you know, and I mean your team, training your team to look for look for hazards and risk while they're out in the environment. Because every manager, director, whatever the case may be that's listening to this podcast is going to say, I can't be in every square inch of the building at all times, which is true. But your team is, and your team's out there and they see things. So a lot of the stuff I do too is train them. Then the other piece I do, Peter, that you know some may or may not do is why. Why we're looking for these things. And I think that's very important so they understand, hey, I seen someone on a ladder, didn't have a hot work permit. Whoa, hold on a second, because again, that goes back to safety, which again could ramp up to litigation if we had a fire, someone potentially, you know, got hurt, that type of thing. Um, trainings, making sure people have their training, because again, you know, you know, meaning your your team. I had a I had an individual once I seen it. I was doing some consulting. They were in a um, uh, one of those high lifts, changing a light bulb in a uh, in a parking lot lamp post. Up about 30 feet, I guess. Mm. Weren't strapped in. They came back down. I said, hey, you know, where was your harness? Oh, I didn't have a harness. Okay. But it, but, but, but it's in the shop. I said, okay, when's the last time it's been checked? Well, they didn't know. And, you know, were you trained on the machine? Well, no, I've never been on that machine before. You know, that's <laughs> yes. kind of yeah. a big deal, you know. And, yeah. You know, yeah. and even from that perspective, well, your wife might have something to say if you were to fall out of that bucket. You know what I mean? And, and and on your head from 30 feet probably wouldn't end well. Right, right. Yeah, um, no exists. <laughs> and, and, and your wife may be hiring a lawyer too, you know, and I, I don't have, I kind of hate to look at it that way. But, you know, A, I don't want anybody to get hurt again, just like I said earlier with the patient. But B, we have to make sure we dot our I's and cross our T's because, you know, you know, people get hurt and that type of thing. So. Again, it kind of flows into everything I do now from this uh, because of this. And before, while I knew it existed, I don't think I knew it existed to the extent that it does or or maybe how how it comes to be sometimes. Right. You know, I mean, you always hear, well, you know, someone could hire a lawyer and that's that. But what if it's due to something you didn't do correctly? You weren't doing your job the way you should have. And, you know, for me that I take that seriously. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you, uh, you know, you, you've peered into the background. Someone got hurt. Yeah. Yep. Right. I pulled the, I pulled the curtain back and sometimes you don't know what, don't want to see what's back there. We all know it's back there. Right. You know, but do you, do you, do you want to know, know, know what's back there, you know? And so while it's been helpful, it's also, you know, it, 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 it does affect the way I do my job, at least to some extent, because again, while I don't want to make it hurt. I also know that if someone did, what's coming directly thereafter. Yes. Yeah. So you know, we are uh, most of the time. Yes. You know, absolutely. So we are speaking with uh, David Luce on the High Reliability Podcast. In addition to his role as a director of FM, David has been sharing some of his uh, lessons learned from his role as a consultant uh, for a law firm. David, final question, and I appreciate your time. Um, You've given a lot of great resources. You actually talked about, you know, actually even checking in with perhaps a law firm that's close to where you work. But are there any other resources relative to your role as the law firm consultant? Are there any other helpful resources that you've used that are readily available for folks on the web or on the internet? Unfortunately, Peter, there isn't. 
No. Um, if you recall when you and I first started kind of talking about this, um, you and I kind of doing this, and part of the reason was because it was it was a basic unknown. Yeah. Um, and that still exists to this day. So, so if you get on right now and look for any of those, there won't be a lot of resources. What you'll find is your normal NFPA 99-101, FGI guidelines, 70, 70E especially, um, that type of stuff. Because, you know, like, well, for, for instance, 70E talks about safety, right? Those are the things, unfortunately, that that we and in, in, in this line of work can go to. Um, which isn't easy because obviously it reads like a code book, right? And uh, when it reads yeah. like a code book, you know, it's a little bit hard to understand sometimes, especially maybe for some of your younger FMs um, who are, you know, who are learning a lot and coming up and things like that. Um, but there aren't resources out there. There aren't, you know, really, um, there's not a website you can go to to, you know, kind of um, say, hey, you know, what should I be doing or what? This, you know, how can I mitigate risk and that type of thing? I think some listening may say, well, you know, that's what your survey preparedness is for and, you know, CMS is for and those types of things. And that would be the closest thing I would have as far as a suggestion, because I think if you're doing all those things, you're in pretty good shape. Does that mean you couldn't have someone trip over a rug that has nothing to do with survey, that has nothing to do with CMS? Um, Yeah. You yeah. know, and those are the ones where you've got to kind of maybe get outside the lines a little bit and think about, hopefully, if nothing else, based off of this podcast to say, gee, I do have a curled up rug in the entrance, but, you know, there's really not a budget for it. Then take it out of service, you know, um, that type of thing. Go to your management and say, hey, you know, you know, I just listened to some guy talk for, uh, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes about some of the risk. And I think we may have some of those here. You know, what do you what do you kind of think? That type of thing. Yep. I've got a, uh, but, but, but think about it based off of this. Right. And it's just a different perspective to bring to it. Right. You know, it's like you said, you know, it's there, but now this is a deeper dive into it. Well, David, if you haven't been exposed to it, I don't think a lot of people would pay a lot of attention to it, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And as you said, we live in a litigious society today too. So it's, uh, it's important to try to minimize risk, as you've said. So I appreciate your time today, David. David Luce, Building Operations Director at Memorial Medical Center in Ashland, Wisconsin, and Hayward Area Memorial Hospital in Hayward, Wisconsin. Thanks for your time today, David. Thanks for having me on, Peter. It was, uh, it was nice being on today. Yeah, no, I enjoyed the conversation. This is Peter Martin. President of Goslin Martin Associates for the High, Re- High Reliability Podcast, easy to say. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time.